0: Good morning, I'm Elizabeth Yance, and I'm a member here at Community, and I'm so grateful that I get to share a few passages of scripture with you this morning. The first one will come from Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, if you would like to follow along with me. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our second passage of Scripture comes from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Read with me. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And now, Ben will bring us the message for this morning.
1: Well, thank you, Elizabeth, for reading the scripture for us this morning. And this morning, we're going to continue our six-week study of the Lord's Prayer together. And this morning, we come to the phrase in the prayer, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, To us in modern America, talk of kings and kingdoms feels very far away from our normal everyday experience. Kings and kingdoms are things that exist in maybe your favorite fantasy book or novel, or maybe you just think of British people whenever you think of kings and kingdoms. But to pray for the kingdom of God to come can seem like something that's far removed from our everyday experience. But this couldn't be further from the truth. Now last week, Pastor Benjamin taught us what it means to pray for God's name to be hallowed. And one thing he said is that for prayer for God's name to be hallowed implies that in some sense, God's name here on earth is not hallowed. And the same can be said for our prayer this week for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying for something to be realized that is not yet realized. Now, when we speak of the kingdom of God, we're not talking, or at least Jesus is not talking here in this prayer, about God's general control over all things. You now, at in many places, the Bible talks about God being the king over his creation, the Lord over all that he has made by virtue of him being the creator. But the kingdom of God specifically is a community in which God is recognized as king The kingdom is a community in which God is present with a people who submits to his kingship and upholds his laws. Now, while this may feel abstract, let's try to make this a little bit more concrete to our experience. Picture what it would be like with me if everybody in Harrisburg were to obey the Ten Commandments and to live life full of the fruit of the Spirit all of the time. Think about what it would be like if God alone was worshipped from the heart. If parents were genuinely treated with honor and respect from their children. If people unconditionally loved one another rather than murdering one another in their heart with held grudges. If people didn't lie and deceive in order to get a leg up on one another. If we all practiced patience and self-control. How amazing would that be? There's no other word to describe this type of society than paradise. This is the place where we all want to live, with God as king. And this is what we're to pray would come about on earth. But this begs the question for us this morning, why do things not look like that? Why do we not see this type of society in which all people joyfully love God and follow his commandments for the good of their neighbor? I don't think we have to look much farther than the second phrase of this part of the Lord's Prayer, your will be done. You see, there is a rival kingdom at work in our world, one which does not acknowledge the will of the true and rightful king. Now, In the beginning of scripture, we read of God making Adam and Eve and placing them in the Garden of Eden, a garden where they're given everything from God's hand. And God gives them clearly his will, what he wants their life to look like, and an opportunity to enjoy his kingdom forever. But rather than submitting to the will of the king, they set themselves up as rulers. You see, God gives them an entire garden and tells them not to eat of one tree. And their reply to God is essentially, God, not your will, but ours be done. They wanted the benefits of living in the kingdom without reference to the king. And ever since that point, all of us have been living in this rival kingdom where we set ourselves up as rulers. Not your will, but mine be done is the mission statement of our world and of our individual lives. We shove God to the side and coronate ourselves and our desires. I mean, just look at the plethora of our entertainment options in our culture, right? Think about this for a second. You can stream Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus or Amazon Prime or whatever your preferred streaming service is whenever you want. You can essentially have whatever TV show or movie at your fingertips at all times. You can pick which news network you want to watch that most lines up with your political viewpoint. You can scroll through your social media feed and not once have anybody that contradicts what you think about anything. In the words of one of our church members here I was talking to this week, who, by the way, just happens to be bald and biracial, he said, If I really wanted to, I could listen to only bald, biracial TV anchors and radio hosts. Now, in one sense... We really do all live in our own kingdoms. And the reason why we don't see the kingdom of God in this world is because we are already too busy building our own kingdoms on our own terms. We want our lives to look like our Netflix queue because after all, we are the star of our own show, of our own lives. But you see, when we set ourselves up as kings and queens without reference to God, tyranny and terror resolved both for us and for other people and we see this destruction that the mindset of not your will but mine be done can cause on ourselves and others I right, think about this it, maybe you're a father or a mother and maybe you are obsessed and consumed with success in your career but you see and feel the toll that this takes on you as you look yourself in the mirror and see the bags under your eyes. You feel the chill in the air as you walk past your wife and kids, again missing dinner to continue to work late hours into the evening. Or maybe you're somebody that's trying to feel more fulfilled in life, and as you find certain people toxic Or not good for your own personal joy, you cut them out of your life, whether that be parents or old friends. But you find yourself increasingly anxious and lonely. Or maybe you're a full-time pastor who also attends seminary and your desire for success and to be viewed as someone who is smart and capable regularly leaves you feeling exhausted and your wife starving for time that you continually give to other things, just to speak of one guy that I know. In any case, we are terrible kings and queens of our own lives. If we are honest with ourselves, we know that when we set ourselves up as kings and shun the true king who has the rightful claim to our life, only our, only our own destruction results. This is only to our own detriment. So the question then arises, how does God bring his kingdom into this mess of a world? How can a society exist in which people rightly worship God as king and follow his commands for the good of ourselves and others when we are doomed by our own selfishness? Simply put, the king must invade hostile territory and take back what is rightfully his. But he doesn't come... As a conquering king. When Jesus enters into this world as the God-man taking on flesh. He doesn't come with a sword of judgment in his hand to put down the rebellion. But he comes as a humble servant. Now we see this clearly in many passages through that, that narrate Jesus' life for us. But one in particular where we see this is towards the end of Matthew's gospel. So I'm going to read for us from Matthew chapter 26... Verses 36 and 39. It says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, in this prayer... We see another man in a garden who changes the future of the world. You see, this cup that Jesus speaks of is the cup of God's wrath. It's God's judgment as king against all of those who have rebelled against his kingdom. So as Jesus prays here, the night before he is about to be crucified on a Roman cross, he sees what lies ahead. And rather than coming to earth to pour out that cup of wrath on you and I, Jesus came to earth as an expression of the eternal love of God and said, I'll take that for you. I'll die the rebels' death so that rebels can be freely welcomed into God's kingdom." You see, unlike the first man in the Garden of Eden who said, not your will, but mine be done, Jesus prays to his Father, not my will, but yours be done. And this ends in his own death. But it also ends in life for any who would trust in him. And you see, it's this sacrificial act of love on the cross by which Jesus re-establishes an outpost of his kingdom on earth that's marked not with selfishness and pride, but marked by sacrificial love. And now Jesus, as the risen and ascended king, sits at the throne of the universe where he is king over all. And now some may hear this and say, amen, right? Jesus showed us how to actually live. The kingdom of God is all about us following in the way of the king. And so we should seek to live out lives expressing the kingdom by serving the poor and loving our enemies and seeking reconciliation. That's what the kingdom is all about. Now, while this is certainly a picture of what the kingdom looks like in action, this is not the foundational message of the kingdom. See, the message of Jesus' kingdom is not, at the bottom, a message that says, go be a person who displays sacrificial love and brings in the kingdom. Because that message can only condemn us. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, On the the TV show American Idol, I might be dating myself a bit. I could use a, a newer one like The Voice or something like that. But this is what I watched growing up. But on American Idol, whenever somebody isn't a good singer... Uh, It's clear to everybody that's watching, but it's not clear to the parents or loved ones who encourage this person to continue to sing, even though they are objectively terrible. But only two things happen when they eventually come into that room and face the judges and get told that they're terrible. On the one side, you have people that when they're told they're terrible, they feel crushed and they realize in that moment, everything I've staked my life on is a sham, and I'm actually no good. And they feel like there's no hope at all. On the other side, you have the people who are told that they're terrible, and that only puffs up their pride, and they live in denial, and they say, they just don't see my true talent. And they are only further encouraged to do uh, to, to pursue their career in singing, even though they're terrible. But what both of these groups need is for that person to say, you are a lousy singer, But you are not defined by that fact. And this example gives us a window into why that Jesus as our example gospel isn't enough. You see, if the kingdom simply gives us a new way to live, we're either going to be crushed in despair because we realize that we can't live as a perfect citizen in God's kingdom, and we lose hope of God's kingdom actually coming in our lives and in the world. So we're either crushed or we become puffed up in pride because we deceive ourselves that we've lived in a manner worthy of the kingdom. And so we start to think that we're pretty good kingdom citizens, that God is pretty lucky to have us serving in his kingdom alongside of him. But you see, the foundation of the kingdom is something far deeper and something far better. One chapter earlier, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus tells us the principle that his kingdom is built upon. He says in Matthew 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, the kingdom of God is not for those who think they have life figured out, or for those who think that they can do enough right and good things for God. This Jesus as example gospel isn't enough because it leaves us and our actions as central. It still centers around our lives and what we can or cannot accomplish. But rather than a Jesus as example gospel, we need the true gospel, the Jesus as King gospel. One in which we recognize our poverty before God and cling to his sacrificial work for us. You see, the true gospel humbles the proud by revealing their poverty and inability to live up to God's kingdom law of love. But it also elevates those who are despairing because Jesus has fulfilled this law and given you access into his kingdom freely. The foundational aspect of the kingdom is the king and his actions of love and grace to save us. And so you can only grasp the love of the king for you when you realize that you need it, when you realize the poverty of your own spirit and cling to him. Only when you realize this can you start to pray, not my will, but yours be done. And as we trust in our King and experience His sacrificial love for us, our lives lives begin to overflow in love towards others. Theologian John Calvin says that that our acts of love as the church are what makes Jesus' invisible kingdom visible in this age. See the kingdom is displayed for others as we say not my will but yours be done in every area of our lives in response to God's immeasurable love for us. And so church as citizens of the kingdom of God let's be those who are generous in sacrificial love for others. Let's be people that are willing to give at great costs for our to ourselves. Because there is one who has given to us at great cost to himself. We ought to be the ones, as citizens of God's kingdom, championing justice for the vulnerable and outcast most fervently, at great cost to ourselves, not out of a false vision of societal progress, but as an expression of the character of our king and his kingdom. You see, as the people of God give of ourselves in love, Because of the great love we've received, the world will know what it looks like when Jesus reigns as king. But even as we speak of all of this, we recognize that today, in our lives, in our world, the kingdom of Jesus is not yet fully here. But the Bible does give us a snapshot of what it will look like when the kingdom does come. We're going to go back and read together again Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It was read by Elizabeth at the beginning of the sermon here, uh, but we're going to read it again together. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Although Jesus is truly King now, there will be a day when we will see Him coming on the clouds, when we will see Him revealed as our King. And He will dwell with us as His people, and He will make everything in this world and in your life whole, right, and complete. Evil will be judged and be expelled from this new earth and we will live with God forever in the safety of His kingdom where there's no threat or worry but simply eternal work and worship for our King. That is where our lives are headed if you are one who trusts in Christ as your King. But as we wait for that day, what ought we to do? as an embassy of that future kingdom in the present time, what should the church do? We're to pray in hope, as Jesus tells us here in Matthew chapter 6. You see, even as this world appears to be going to hell in a handbasket, what it means to be a Christian is to confess that heaven has descended and will descend fully one day on earth and that all things will be made right. And so In light of that hope, we pray. We pray for God's kingdom to be more fully realized and expressed in and through us individually and as His church. We pray that more people would be welcomed and brought into this kingdom by the good news of the gospel. And we also pray with a view towards the future that God would bring His kingdom in its fullness on earth as it is in heaven. And as we pray for God's kingdom to come and will to be done, we submit our desires to His and grow in hope as we wait for that day when He will return. So church, let me close my sermon this morning by just saying to you that our current situation is a perfect occasion to grow in prayer. It is readily apparent to each of us that we are not in control And that we need God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. So friends, do not drown out prayer with panic, with constant screen time, or with an endless news cycle. Prayer is our lifeline in these times of crisis and uncertainty. Prayer for the kingdom of God to come is the way that we fight against despair and for hope in a time when it is so easy to lose hope. Prayer is the way that we reorient ourselves to what God is doing in and through us and what he will do one day to bring his story of salvation to its final conclusion. And so as we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in this time. May our hearts as a church be more attuned to the love of the King. May we grow in our desire for the coming of his kingdom on that day. And may we be motivated to display this kingdom to our spouses, our children, and our neighbors as we love others sacrificially, like Jesus, praying, not my kingdom come, but yours. Not my will, but yours be done. Let's pray. Father, we do echo the words of Jesus In the Lord's Prayer, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth. Lord, these times of crisis have revealed to us the ways in which we long for a kingdom of peace and stability. And they've also revealed ways in which we have not yet submitted our hearts to your rule. So Lord, help us day by day as we pray this prayer to submit ourselves to you. And to be motivated to show others what it looks like when Jesus reigns as King in anticipation of that day when you will be revealed and we will see you as our King and you will make all things new. And So in light of that we pray, come Lord Jesus. Amen.